Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Welcome back to another edition of the Internet's most dangerous Tottenham Hotspur podcast. It's Wheeler Dealer Radio. We're here to discuss what might be the strangest game that I've ever watched as a Spurs fan, a 4-1 loss to Chelsea where somehow we've been left feeling good about Tottenham Hotspur. I'm just as confused as the rest of you. But before we get to that, don't forget to leave us a five-star review on iTunes or Spotify because we are good boys who deserve your support. And also follow us on Twitter at WDR Podcast. That's WDR as in Wheeler Dealer Radio. Now that's out of the way, let me introduce my co-host. He is swinging back and forth so fast that we have a hard time pinning down where he is. But we are all desperate to hear where the pendulum has landed today. How are you doing, Ben Daniels? I am doing way better than I thought I would. If you had told me we were going to lose 4-1 ahead of time, I would have expected to be, you know, rending garments. And instead, I feel pretty zen. I feel like we had victories against Arsenal under other managers that you felt worse about than this performance. Yeah, I mean, look, you know, three points are three points, and we all love a win, but there is something encouraging about seeing a squad that believes in a manager and a manager that believes in the squad and a fan base who believes in everything. Um, You know, I think the reaction from the match going fans as much as anything is like, what's like getting me through this is just the vibes of vibes. FC cannot be stopped. They, they really can't. Um, and you know, speaking of, I think it's time to introduce our next, our other co-host who definitely knows how to deal with highs and lows by, uh, you know, through various means it's, uh, Brian Ashlock, Brian, how, how are you balancing everything that you're taking out of this game? Um, you know, uh, uppers in the morning, downers at night. Um, I think, you know, never, never mixing the two. I think that's important. Uh, lots of hydration. Um, yeah. What was the actual question? I don't remember. I, I, uh, I, I, I don't know. I think fine. you nailed it. I think I, think I did. Yeah. I think you did. I think you did. You know, you did it. You did a good job, you know. Thank you. did a real good job there. I appreciate the your validation. The downers at support. night haven't slowed you down. No. That's right. They have it. I think I think uh, Nico Jackson is, is is enough of a downer for Brian this week. So, um, yeah, I think, um, you know, Ben mentioned it right there, but I, I want to jump on that as a way of starting. Obviously, we're talking about our 4-1 loss to Chelsea, but I think that response from the Spurs crowd when Chelsea scored their third goal late, I... This is going to sound stupid and maudlin, but it is true. I don't think I've ever been as proud to be a Spurs fan as I was in that moment. I think you hear a lot, especially from English fans, and I'm not saying this in a negative way. I'm just saying, matter of fact, you hear about pride in the shirt or fighting for the shirt and all these things. And, you know, I think by and large, these are just things people say. But this is like maybe, I don't want to say the first time, but like the first time in a non-cliched way where I really felt that 
sense of like, you know, like being a fan and being proud of what the team does. Cause I think it's one thing to say that when you like, you know, after Ajax or, you know, a come from any other come from behind victory or something like that. But I think this was like, both from, uh, from what the team gave us and how the fans reacted. Like, I mean, I don't know. I felt really proud to be a Spurs fan after this match, which is a weird thing to say. And I think obviously that's colored by just how, pathetic the last four years have been and obviously we've had our moments and found ways to get through it but i'm just shocked at both how the team reacted to adversity and how the fans responded to that and i think in particular how the fans responded to that was very heartening and i don't know uh, um brian ben said a little bit about that so i'll kick it to you but i i just i, I found it just a really uplifting experience in a way that I wasn't anticipating and in, in any sense of the word. Yeah. I mean, uh, the way we, we got there was obviously not what any of us wanted. Um, but I, I do think that there was a lot of positives to, to take from it. And I mean, like you guys Reaction from kind of everybody around the team, the match going fans, like it all being kind of universally positive, like proud of the team, proud of the way they fought, pleased that the manager has, you know, the courage of his convictions to stick with the style of play. Like it's all great. Like, and, you know, I, I mean, I'm sure we'll get into it, but like, we could have sat back and we could have defended and we probably still would have lost. So I don't know. I, I thought this was at least like, this was fun. This was interesting. Um, honestly, the only way it would have been better if it just got like, got stopped by VAR a little less. Um, but you well, know, that's, that's uh, something else entirely, but yeah. Yeah. But but yeah, I, I think, I think there's a lot heartening that you can take from this match. And I mean, I think you, we have to take that approach because the this this match may have kind of long ranging effects on on sort of what our season looks like at least over the next month or so. So, I, yeah, at least right now I'm trying to say stay positive. But then if we drop our next three matches because Christian Romero can't play in them, um, maybe I'll feel a little bit differently. Yeah, I mean, look. It was a bad loss. It, it, it's never good to lose 4-1 to a team you hate as much as Chelsea. Like, I, we can all agree on that. It's an obvious platitude to say that, like, losing hurts. It sucks. You know, no one's ever happy about that. But losing games is inevitable. Every team loses. Even the best teams lose. And the thing for me that is so wild about this game is, you know, we have, like you said, Greg, like, we have had wins against our rivals that have not felt very positive because, you know, at the end of the day, it, again, another cliche, but like, it is about more than just winning and losing games. It is about, you know, that connection to the team, that connection to what Tottenham Hotspur is as an entity, not just, you know, what are the results? What's our record in the table? Um, and after four really fucking grim years to just see the way the fans, not just in the stadium, even like on Twitter, people were just generally pretty chill about everything that happened. 
And like, I don't know, there's something that just felt like very powerful and very like uplifting to me about being a fan in that moment. Like, yep. you know, especially like, you know, seeing Arteta and Klopp like bitching about fucking referee decisions and like, you know, you know, everything is just like how hard done by they are. There was no sense of that in this game. Like, yeah, like I think we were hard done by a couple of decisions in this match, but the overwhelming takeaway is just this is what we are. This is what we're trying to do. We're going to keep trying to do it. Sometimes it's not going to work, but we all believe that like in the long run it is. And no one seemed to second guess that. And that is a, a rare and beautiful thing that I, I don't want to feel like, you know, a schmaltzy baby about, but like, I do like really, really value that, that experience from this match. But you, you look at this and, I mean, I think it's appropriate in a weird way as much. And I fucking hate this guy now. But, like, Pochettino being there, I think, made this kind of appropriate. Because, like, what made... I think... And I think this is something that fans of other teams miss. But, like, I think part of what made the Pochettino year so special wasn't just that we were playing excellent football and kicking other teams' asses and challenging for titles and making Champions League finals. I mean, that was obviously great. And without that, it wouldn't have been the same. But the Pochettino era was heavily built on an emotional connection between the coaches and the players and the fans. And that was real. As much as I feel like Mauricio Pochettino is a snake who has thrown that all away to go work for a bunch of mercenaries across the, across the street, which I think is absolutely true. But, you know, that was also true. Like, what he built was real. And as much as I hate him now, that doesn't invalidate what it was at the time. And this felt like that in a way that we've been chasing ever since he left. And frankly, since probably a little bit before he left. And, you know, like, I don't know if you guys saw, but like the quotes from Vicario after the game, uh, who was talking about, I've never lost 4-1 and been applauded by the home fans. Pedro Porro had a similar comment. Um, Son had a more generic, but similar along the lines of like, that was an incredible response. We really took it. This felt like a moment of what we have been chasing. It's, it's very weird because, you know, like I was pretty angry immediately after this match because I fucking hate Chelsea and I fucking hate how this always happens against Chelsea. Like dumb shit that doesn't go our way always happens. But like, you know, the fact that like we had this moment, we had this connection with the players again, it felt so special. And like, especially from these guys who are so likable. I mean, Pedro Porro, who, those of us on this podcast have nurtured in his time at Spurs and also a guy like Vicario who's so likable and son who is a perfect human being, you know, but it felt like, I mean, I, I know this, like there's Spurs fans who would push back on this. And it, like you said, Ben, it's never good to lose a game to a rival, especially for one, which I think is a little bit, I think we can all agree that, that, that score flatters Chelsea in the extreme, but it felt like we had our spurs back. It felt like we had this very real connection with the players. And I mean, I liked Vicario before this match. I've been very happy with him this year, but like, I don't know. I feel an attachment to him now after that match that like between his performance and what he talked about afterwards, like, you know, we're getting, I think something that I, and I, I think I've dismissed it at points because I'm frankly just trying to compartmentalize and, manage what was a fairly awful four years but like i think we're getting a lot of what we wanted from the pochettino era back and i think you know I, i'm just thrilled to have i'm thrilled to have players like this at spurs again who are willing to do the things we saw them do on uh on monday night um i'm just 
you know, we have that connection again. And I, I, I think I've seen Chelsea fans make fun of it, but I think it's real and I think it's valuable. Yeah. I mean, I think Chelsea fans are, you know, right to make fun of us a little bit for this reaction. I think if Arsenal or Liverpool or whoever had done this kind of like kumbaya bullshit after a bad loss, like we'd all be rightly laughing at them. But I think for us, we went into this game against Pochettino seeing it as a chance to exercise demons and get one over on the guy who, you know, spurned us for like the evil neighbors next door. And I think, you know, and this is maybe me putting too sunny a face on things, but like, honestly, the best way to get one over Pochettino is kind of the response that we had after this loss like yeah beating him would have been one thing to say fuck you buddy but like showing him in his face how much we love the new guy and it's not tied to a win or loss like that is as much an exercising of demons and you know getting over your ex kind of moment as a really good win would have been and like yeah i would have loved the three points don't get me wrong but like i do think there's something just like really cathartic and healthy about the ability to chant like that and applaud the team like that in the face of a bad loss right in front of Pochettino's face and say, yeah, you beat us, but we don't care. We love what's happening now. And that is more valuable than three points. And like, well, that's silly, for but it's a team, true. Especially for a team like for Pochettino, like, I mean, Pochettino's Spurs teams would run through a wall for that guy. Like, you know, I don't think, Pochino's current Chelsea team would pick a napkin up off the floor for him. Um, and, you know, it's like you see all these, like, other teams' fans making fun of us online, and it's just like, I don't fucking care. Like, I got what I want out of this team again, and, like, I feel good about this. And, you know, I don't think you'll find a Chelsea fan in the world who feels good about this match. Like, I think whether you're looking at it tactically or emotionally – you know, I think Spurs fans have a lot to feel good about. And I, if I'm a Chelsea fan, like, I, there's not a lot I feel super happy about. Or if I am, I'm lying to myself. I, and I, I, I don't think that's – I don't think I'm being too much of a Pollyanna when I say that. Brian? I mean, you know, if you're a Chelsea fan, Nicholas Jackson – You have no soul and it doesn't matter. But Well, yeah, that's true. But, you know, Nicholas Jackson scored three goals and that's good, I guess. Is I that know. the most pathetic Premier League hat trick that's ever been scored? I mean, you know – uh, no, I'm sure there's some like worse one for someone Are that played you? for Sunderland or something. <laughs> um, no, I, I mean, I don't really know what to add to, to what I've already said. I mean, I, I, I think, you know, and we're going to talk about, you know, the negatives and, and, you know, all of the stupid mistakes and the errors and everything, but like, you know, this doesn't have to be. Uh, the 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 defining moment of this season, you know, um, you know, people were comparing it during the match to like the Battle of the Bridge, which for some reason became the defining moment of that season where we lost the title that we were never really in first place for and probably weren't going to win anyway, even if we won the, that match. But like, you know, I, I think the 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 interesting thing is to see now what the club what the coaching staff what the players do with this like do they kind of just pick right back up where they were before this or is this a situation where 
like I said, you 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 missing players through injury, suspension, and it really kind of derails. And then you know months from now we're looking back at this game and 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 wondering what could have been. I I think right now the mood from everybody is, all right, you know this this wasn't great, but you know there are positives to take away from this, and we all see the direction that this is going in. We're all bought into this project. Now we just keep moving forward. And 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 I hope that's kind of what the story of this game is by the time we get to the end of the season. Yeah, I, I think wanna, you're right. It's an inflection point go ahead, for good or ill, and we're going to see whether this was a moment that we, the vibes we saw translate into, you know, the spirit necessary to weather the storm or the beginning of a collapse that leads to Ange getting sacked in three months. Like, <laughs> I, again, you're right. We're going to see how this plays out. But uh, someone said this on Twitter, and I apologize. I can't remember who said it. But it's like all you want at the end of the day is to feel pride in your club. And I don't feel like, and again, maybe people are going to make fun of me as a stupid American for saying this. But, like, you know, I have been a pretty, like, intense fan of Spurs for, I don't know, since 2010. And I don't feel like I ever really understood that till this moment. Like, I really feel it in a way that, like, you know, feels new and, and like I get it. And like seeing these players do that, hearing them talk after the match, like I feel like I know there's a connection there that we've been just chasing for years. And it's just it feels good to have it again. And I'm really happy about it. Um, we've been doing a podcast for almost a decade. And now and Jeez. and just this week, you're like, no, I no, feel the connection. I, now. Mean, I mean, in that specific way, because it's not you know, in this way where it's not just about like, Oh, we won and that feels good. And I know it's more, you know, I, I mean, I've had more complicated feelings about Spurs than that, but like, I don't know, this felt different. This felt new. This felt good. And maybe it's just because everything's been so fucking dog shit since 2019. But, um, you know, I don't think if you'd sat me aside two years ago, I mean, I was joking. We, I, I sent a message to you guys, uh, Earlier this week, if like a year ago in Portugal, I told you guys, oh, we're sitting on a rooftop and I tell you like, oh, we're going to feel pretty good about how Spurs played in a 4-1 defeat to Mauricio Pochettino's Chelsea. Like you guys would have, you know, thrown your super bock at me. Like, you know, it's it's just it's a weird feeling, but it like it feels good in a strange way. I don't know. Like, I didn't think it was possible to feel as good about this battle loss to Chelsea. But let's talk about the game itself. Um, I think it's I think any conversation this game beyond what we've just talked about, has to start with, I thought we looked fucking great for the first 20 minutes. I mean, Spurs were ripping Chelsea apart, and that kind of makes what happened later in the game even fucking dumber. But, like, man, you want to talk about feeling good about where we're going in the future, like, that attack, I I think it's for real. I mean, it's, I mean, shit. I mean, Chelsea has to have this high-pressing system, and they didn't know how to handle it. I mean, Ben? Uh, yeah, I mean shit. <laughs> you said it. <laughs> yeah, I did it. I said it. Yeah, I did it. <laughs> yeah, I mean you're right. Like we, you know, it's not like it was one way traffic in the first 20 minutes. Chelsea were still playing, but like, you know, we got that early goal. We had another goal fraudulently ruled out for offside because they used the wrong camera angle. But before, before we go any further, I need to ask you guys, I feel like Son disproportionately gets a lot of these kind of goals ruled off. Am I am I crazy for thinking that or do you guys think that too? 
No, I think you're crazy for thinking that. I think okay. I, I think, I think he's no cool. different than any of the other uh, kind of, like quick guys that are always trying uh, to beat the offside trap. Right. He just happens to be a guy who on. his job is to get in behind, and so you're gonna get offside calls. Yeah, uh, it's like Jermaine Defoe, you know. Yeah. Right. God, exactly. Can you imagine Jermaine Defoe with VAR? Ugh, that poor guy. He might have had a few more. Honestly. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> The rest anyway, just assumed he was offside. Uh, yeah. Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, like, those first 20 minutes were cooking. And, you know, like, it's a shame that it went the way it did with the red cards and everything. Because I think, I don't know, the occasion being that good maybe kind of got the guys amped up a little too much. Like, if you look at the passages of play that led to, you know, Chelsea's goal being rolled out for the benefit of Chelsea uh, to get a red card and a penalty. Um, You know, that was just a very high intensity passage of play where guys were pushing. I mean, you know, Romero was pressed all the way up to the 18 yard box at the start of that play. And it ended with him getting a red card and a penalty in the other 18 yard box by the time it ended. But like everyone was going for it in a way that was really commendable. And you know, I'm I'm still mad that the blatant two-handed shove on Romero to start that move didn't get called for a foul because we'd be looking at a very different match um, if it had. You know, whatever. I don't want to complain about referee decisions, but like it was well, a problem. We'll, we'll we'll get to that. <laughs> the things that went wrong were a product of us maybe immaturely being too excited for how well we were doing. And yeah. I'm not going to fault the guys for getting a little carried away in in their positivity, in their willingness to just sort of push for it because we were breaking Chelsea apart. I, I so think I thought. Okay, go ahead, Brian. Sorry. No, I was just going to say, I, I, I agree with Ben to an extent on, you know, not faulting the guys for uh, being. I don't know, overzealous or, or or getting really into it. But like, I feel like this happens a lot with Chelsea specifically. And I, and, and I don't know if it's because of, and, and I don't mean, you know, the weirdness and the referee decisions and all that, but that does also happen again a lot. But like, I just mean that our guys seem to get overhyped for these things. Like that's, that's my memory of kind of, how the battle of the bridge goes down is we were just too up for it. And, and it felt like that's what this was. And, and it's hard because those first 15, 20 minutes, you look so good and you're playing with that level of intensity, but, and you want them to be able to keep that up for the remainder of the game. But, you have to walk such a fine line in order to do that. And and we've got guys like Romero who are easily capable of crossing over the line. Um, and I don't know. I, I don't know how as a manager or staff you you prepare them to be emotionally ready for a game like this and also, you know, make sure that they keep their heads. I don't, I don't know what you can do. Um, but I mean, but it, I think it, this is, 
you got a young team, and I think this is like the problem. It just keeps happening against Chelsea. I mean, it's not like Chelsea doesn't have a young team. I mean, maybe it's because we have players who actually give a shit about the games they're in, and Chelsea just have a bunch of fucking shithead mercenaries who couldn't give a fuck who, what team they're playing for. Um, maybe that's it. I don't know. <laughs> I'm sure we'd all like to think that that's why. Yeah, I mean, that's um, what I choose, is what I'm saying after two glasses of wine. But, um, yeah, I think um, I, I want to get – we'll get into how we lost our heads in a minute. I want to focus on – um, just one sec. There's a performance I want to focus on, which is Brennan Johnson. Uh, and I mostly want to make Ben say nice things about Brennan Johnson. It's kind of weird discussing him because he keeps having these abbreviated cameos where he does like one or two things really well. And then it's like kind of anonymous otherwise, but they're also abbreviated cameos. So it's hard to judge, but I, rem- I- I'm starting to get very encouraged about Johnson because you know, it's not about small sample size, but he's doing things that I find impressive. And I just would like him to like play 70 minutes for once, which is not his fault. Like, this is absolutely not Brandon Johnson's fault that he didn't play longer in this match because that's, you know, whoever deserves blame for that. It's not him. But Michael Oliver, I, he just looks so dangerous against Chelsea. And, you know, he made some really good moves. And especially on that goal for Son that got chalked off. Excellent pass, excellent run before that. I mean, he's maybe not the complete player that you would maybe necessarily want on the left wing, but just, man, I'm I'm really impressed with him so far in the in the very small sample size that we've gotten of him. And I just, and I think we're gonna get it because Richarlison's getting his pubis fixed. So like, I think he's about to get a whole lot of minutes. But I really want to see him play like the like you know like a a lot of minutes in a match because I've been very impressed with him so far. Yeah. I mean, look, he played a pass too late and it was rolled out for offside. So I don't know why we're giving him credit for that. Um, No, I mean, look, he, when I criticize Brennan Johnson and I'm going to fucking be having this conversation a hundred times, I think over the course of the season, it's because it's a, a lack of different skill sets in his game. The thing that I said from day one that Brennan Johnson is really mm-hmm. good at is being mm-hmm. very fast and getting in behind and playing that square ball across the box. That's his one trick that is fantastic. And I, I have nothing bad to say about that specific facet of his game. And this was a match that he was able to use that very effectively. Would have been nice if he played that ball a little sooner. Whatever. Uh, Jesus Christ. No, like I think there, like you can, you can see how the way we play is going to get a tune out of that trick. Uh, I think it's it's a very good trick, but he remains a very low involvement player, a very low touch player, and he needs to step that up. And like, yes, this was not a great opportunity for him to you know change that because he had to get yanked early um i think the way he plays in a game like this was fantastic and had we not gone down to 10 men i think we would have had a very very positive brennan johnson match to talk about um you know i 
we talk about the small sample sizes and the things that he looks good. The things that he looks good at have still not answered the questions I have about him, and I'm not going to retract my criticisms until I get 90 minutes or they're disproven. I'm just going to be that's bullish I would like this to an annoying degree. I, I, but I want to see him get more time, and that's yeah, like one of, too. one of the frustrating things about this match because he's playing really well. I thought I, I get what you're saying about him being a low involvement player, but like. I still think his movement was good. Like I, I like, and again, like, you know, it's Chelsea playing a press. They're trying to play us. So a guy who can run like that and get behind players like that is, this is the kind of match that in theory, a guy like him is going to thrive in, but he was still thriving in it. And it's just, yep. it's, it's irritating that it's like, we didn't get more to see like, okay, well, what's he going to do with it? Is he going to like, are his involvements good enough that it kind of doesn't matter like how frequently are they? Cause he's just creating chances every time he gets his foot right. on the ball. Like, and that's the thing I'm hopeful about is that all my criticisms of, of his game might not matter because if he gets to do that a few times a match and makes them count, then I don't fucking care. <laughs> you know, like those yeah. are goals and like goals are great. Um, so again, I'm not mad about anything Brennan Johnson did. I think, Great little cameo. Sucks that he didn't get to play more. I think it was harsh that he is the one who got yanked, frankly. I understand um, it. I don't think it's his fault, but I, I yeah. understand why he's the one who gets yanked. But yeah, I think, you know, I think we we still haven't solved that left-wing problem in the team between him I, and Carlson and Heal and Solomon. Like, we've got a lot of guys who've auditioned and shown glimpses and I think the glimpses we've seen from Brennan Johnson are as good as anyone's. And so if he ends up the guy by the end of the season and like we're all very happy about it, I'm not going to be too surprised. I mean, we've talked about keeping our expectations in check about this season, despite the fact that we're going to win the title. Um, but, you know, like I think it's good in some ways, especially for Charles and her. It's like, yeah, we're going to figure it out. Like we're going to we're going to have an idea of what we're getting out of Brennan Johnson, even if it's not the finished article we're going to have an idea of what we're getting out of this guy by the end of the season. Like, and I think there's something good about that this year. Like, and, and like, if there's any positive or Charleston being out for what looks like at least a couple weeks, um, you know, it's like, this guy's going to get minutes and we're going to figure out like what he's about. And I'm just very encouraged by it, considering how doom and gloom everyone was about um, his signing. I think, I think there's been a real intelligence of movement and, there's been enough improvement over what we saw at Forest, even though I, I concede that it's like he's not getting involved more. But there's been enough improvement that I'm I'm just curious who Ange can get out of him because I think he's getting better coaching than he got from like, you know, the James Bond henchman that we had at uh, that he had at Forest um, as his coach. You know, and I, I'm just I would like to see him just play more minutes in these matches. And I know it's not his fault, but. Um, I was very encouraged by what we saw out of him um, this past week. So yeah, he's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Brian. Really cut to the heart of the matter. So uh, where did it go wrong? <laughs> yeah, that's what I wanted to move into. Um, I think there's a lot to praise the Spurs team about this match, and we're going to continue praising them because I think when we get into how we play with nine men, I think we're, that's going to happen. <clears throat> I think part of the problem with this match is I think there's two players who really let the rest of the team down. And I want to talk about Romero and I want to talk about Udogi. They both made bad fouls. They arguably could have been sent off before they were sent off. 
And I want to talk about Romero in particular because we praised him a lot this year. And Romero is a great player. He plays close to the edge. He's really reined it in a lot this year. He's also gotten away with it a few times. And what I thought was weird about this match is clearly Romero, and maybe to a lesser extent Udogi, got really wound up. And I don't know if it's they were hyping themselves up because they knew what this match was. I joked on Twitter a week or so ago. It's like, oh, yeah, this might be the lowest percentage of players in a Spurs-Chelsea derby that, like, actually gave a shit about this match. And, like, I don't think we're going to have to worry about that for a fucking while, at least on the Spurs side. But, like, Romero was just fucking keyed up. And, like, obviously, like, Romero, all these South American guys, like, they fucking know what it's like to play in a derby. And I don't know if he keyed himself on that. I think the Romero, I think the referee was letting Chelsea get away. I think he was letting Chelsea get away with a lot of fouls. I don't think, you know, you like you watch the Battle of the Bridge or whatever, and you kind of understand why these guys are spun up. Like, Chelsea was getting away with some shit. I don't think they were getting away with some shit to the degree that I have any sort of understanding for why Romero was doing the shit he was doing. He can't, he cannot do the shit he was doing. It's irresponsible. I mean, he had a foul that could have been a red card before he got a red card. And then he had the one that he got sent off for, which like maybe was a little bit harsh, but like, we honestly can't complain about it. I don't, I don't think we can reasonably complain about him getting sent off. It's, I think he let the team down. He's got to play. I, I understand he plays with an edge, but the way he got sent off, like there's no justification for that. That's cheap. You can't do that. It was irresponsible and it put his team in a bad position. Yeah, I mean, I, I absolutely agree with you. Both Romero and Udogi, like you said, yeah. could have been sent off for those those first cardable offenses. And the, the, the fact that they weren't is was, was very fortunate. Um, you know, uh, I, I think, you know, some of the blame has to be assigned to the refereeing. I know that's tedious and it's probably not very, like, useful analysis, but... It's true. I, I feel like, you know, the officiating in in English football for these big derby matches tends to trend toward let them play, as opposed to knowing that these are emotionally charged matches and going out there and setting the tone early as an official for what you will and will not allow. And, and what, yeah. you know... And and so when we have, you know, first 20 minutes like we did where, you know, Caicedo has three fouls early and, you know, and, and look, I, I know, Greg, you said that, you know, Chelsea was getting away with a lot. We were also getting away yes. with a lot. Like fair. That's there, fair. there were plenty of instances in the first, you know, 25, 30 minutes where cards could have and should have been handed out to maybe calm down the proceedings a little bit. And so I really think that's kind of a failure of the officiating. Now, that doesn't excuse what Romero and then subsequently Udogi did. Well, like, Udogi before that, but yeah, I, I know what you're saying. So Yeah, I just, you know, like the, the first tackle that Udogi makes, is, like he is, he only doesn't get sent off there. He doesn't make solid contact with, uh, I think it's Sterling. Um you know, like that that's that's the only reason that's not a red. Like that's a really dumb and really dangerous tackle. Romero kicking out, you know, while he's on the ground is really dumb, really petulant behavior. And 
you know, I can excuse it from from Udogi because you can say, oh, he's young and blah, 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 blah. I mean, he's been a top flight footballer for a couple years in Serie A. Let's not pretend that he doesn't know, you know, what good and bad challenges are. Um, and, and Romero, he's one of the captains of this team. He is, you know, the leader in defense. He's, he's a guy that, that, that Lionel Messi is calling, you know, the best defender in the world. And he's kind of like trending in the Sergio Ramos direction now where he, the he best we love him because he's ours. Like yeah, I mean, if it's trending in the Sergio Ramos direction, I'm pretty fucking happy with it. Yeah, no, and I, and I mean, that would be great, obviously, but also, like, you know, he, I, I think I, I heard somewhere that he is averaging uh, a red card every seven matches for Spurs. And so that's like, you know, three red cards a season. And and think about how many games that one he he winds up missing and you know the the magnitude of those games and like i don't know yeah i just don't think you can have your your best defender one of your vice captains playing in that way and i i i I'd obviously don't want to rob him of you know the, that the, his style and the way he plays, like, cause I think that's important to his specific identity and the way that, and also to the way we play, but like, we got to find a way to at least get him to modulate a little bit. Yeah. I mean, he's putting the team at risk there and it's, you know, I, I appreciate he's playing with intensity. I appreciate that he understands that we fucking hate Chelsea and we want to beat them. But like, man, you got fucking sent off. Like, you know, like, you got sent to jail on a traffic ticket right there. Like, that was not worth, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, the game wasn't at that state. The stakes weren't at that level. It's just like, it was, you know, it, if you're going to risk it, it, this wasn't the situation for it. And it's it was irresponsible. And I think Udogi's the same way. You're on a yellow. You can't do that. Like, you know, you can't, I mean, you can't do what he did initially, and it's irresponsible. And, you know, I have a little more truck with Udogi because he's a younger player. But, like, you can't fucking do that. And both these guys have kind of gotten away with it um, this year. And, you know, it's just, like, they put us in a hole. And, you know, I mean, say what you want about Romero. And I don't know, like, this might be worth it in the long run. But, like, Romero probably cost us his match because of the way he played. And, you know, you could argue because of what he did in this match because of that stupid foul. And it was a stupid fucking foul. You know, he might have cost us other points, like, you know, against Villa, against City, against Wolves. I, I mean, we're going to have to see, but... I I just fundamentally completely disagree with both of you about Ugh. both of their performances. Like, I don't know if I've just, like, gone so far around the bend into, like, fucking, like, Big Ange homerism. But, like, for me, the Udagi challenge, the first one, the second yellow card was the one of the dumbest things I've ever seen. I'm, I'm not going to pull punches on that, but like the first one, he was, it looked to me like he slipped as he was going in for a very winnable ball of the type that he often wins. Like he plays that, that role as kind of like a very loose cornerback inviting the pass to then pick your pocket because he's fast as shit. And that challenge didn't look like he went in two-footed. It looked like he went for the ball, and then his legs went out from under him, and he slipped, and then that's how he went in two-footed. And, like, yeah, he made contact. It's a red card. But I don't think it was a case of, like, Udagi lost his head. That That is not how I read that play. 
And, you know, Romero, the kick out, I think, is the kind of thing you're talking about that I think he has to cut out of his game because that's petulant. That's an easy red card to get. I think he rides the line of he knows when the camera is not on him. He knows when the play is not near him and he can get away with doing some dirty shit. But we got to see it under a microscope because VAR pulled the ball back all the way through that whole, whole play. And then we looked at it and that was, you know, bad luck for the way he plays. But the actual red card that he got, I maintain that he did nothing wrong. He was clearing the ball. He was not like he did not dive in to make a challenge. He cleared the ball and his follow through caught somebody on the leg. That's not a red card. That's not a penalty. Bullshit. Bad call. I, I will fucking die on that. So I, I think you're always getting sent off for that. And whether it's right or wrong, it's what happens. And he's got to He's got to understand that. Again, I, I don't know. It. What do you want him to do in that scenario? The ball is there. It's a loose ball in the box. He is standing upright and he goes to swing at it. Like I what would is he say supposed to do? He, but I He's think not he followed the ball because Enzo might close him down mid swing. Like it's bullshit. It's bullshit. I, I I feel like the follow through was designed to hit the player, and that's where it's like I have a problem with it. He like you can't do that. Like I mean, he knew what he was doing. It wasn't just about a clearance. Like is is how I read the play at least. And and the fact of the matter is Romero has to know. I mean Romero has a reputation at this point. Like I think I, I can't remember who. If it was, uh, there was another Spurs podcast I listened to this week where they were talking about if Van Deven did the exact same thing, he might have gotten away with it. And I agree with that because I think Romero does have a reputation and yeah, he has to I, be aware of that. I think that's fair. I think my big complaint with the referee that you guys talked about is the way the refs have chosen to conduct these games and the way VAR operates are just like so diametrically opposed that it creates these these flashpoints inevitably because if you don't set a tone players play yes. with the expectation that like this is what's allowed and then you put it under the var microscope and then suddenly it's held to a completely different standard as the rest of the game and i don't think that it is a reasonable expectation to adhere to what the video referee you know miles away might look at when the referee in front of you is not calling anything all day I don't know. Like, it sucks that we got a red card. I think maybe he could have made that challenge a little safer. But, like, again, he was clearing the ball and went through the guy's leg as the ball bounced off his shins and popped up. And, like, I I don't know. I I don't know what he was supposed to do in that moment that wouldn't have gotten that red card under those circumstances. Whatever. Like, I don't want to be Mikel Arteta. Like, and Jurgen Klopp complaining about the refereeing and complaining about the red cards, but like, yeah, how, how do you feel about the grass is moisture? Did you think that had any effect on it? Like, <laughs> yeah, it's 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 a shitty thing that happened, but I am not like going to say that Christian Romero is a liability because of it, because you know the statistics about his red card frequency are from a previous regime, largely. The Romero we have seen this season has been much more calculated, he's, much more. He's composed. gotten away with it a few times. I mean, maybe he's, fine, but like getting away with it is is part of the job. Yeah, like Virgil Van Dyke made a rep, his reputation as the best defender in the league by grabbing guys' shoulders on counterattacks and getting away with it, and like that's why everybody thinks he's so good. You know, like being a little shitty is like part of being a defender, and I think yeah, Romero is a guy who pushes that line and crosses that line, whatever. But like the, 
the total package of Christian Romero is the best defender in the league. And yeah. I'm not going to censure him because he got a bullshit red card in this game, even though it cost us. I'm sorry. I think to a degree, I think you have to accept this is what you're getting with Romero. This is the downside of Romero. You're going to have to live with shit like this because he's so good and he plays so close to the edge. I want to move us off the refereeing discussion. The one thing I do want to say is I understand you want to treat any, you, you want to sort of approach every match with a blank slate. But I don't understand how in the, over the last five years, ten years, you've seen what Chelsea Spurs matches have been, and you're not walking into that match if you're a referee, like looking to set a tone. Like if I'm a referee and I'm if I'm right. refereeing, you Chelsea know what's going to get ugly. Yeah, you're just like I, I'm telling people early on, like there's the early yellow card coming out, and I'm not like I want to be very clear about this. Like that could have gone to a Spurs player. God knows we could have earned one. But, like, I'm setting a tone early on. Like, oh, uh-uh, not today, fellas. Like, you're not going to fucking kick kick lumps out of each other today. Like, like you know, like, or if you do, I'm going to call it. And this ref just fucking let shit happen. And Well, and, I, I mean, think, it wasn't just even the lack of cards. It was just a lack of foul calls on stuff. Yeah, fair. Like, that's fair. You know, the someone gets two-handed back, and it's like, play on, get up. And it's like, come on, no, you got to call that. Like, I... I like, if I'm a ref and I'm playing Chelsea Spurs in particular, there's other matches like this in the league, but this is one of them. I'm just like, I'm looking for an excuse to make an example out of someone early on, whether it's fouls, whether it's yellow cards. It's like, you've got to grab control of this match and make it very clear to everyone. Like, it's not about playing on. It's about like, you know, there's certain things I'm not going to allow happen today. And I think that's where the refs failed. Like, because I think like both of our red cards, like, yeah, you can quibble with it. But like, I don't think we've got like this isn't Liverpool against us. Like, we don't have too much to complain about. But like, you know, it's anyway, that's that's my problem. So we've gotten to one nil and a red card. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) In an hour. Then Uh, what happened? I want to talk about us going down to nine men. Um I was very impressed with how we played it. We've talked about this. I talked about this with Luton. I think you hear a lot of managers, and Mauricio Pochino was fucking one of them. We talked about his commitment to principles and, like, what he wants his team to do. And at the end of the day, they're all fucking cowards because they all, like, want to retreat in their shell when things get ugly. Ange Postacoglu might be the only manager I've ever seen for any team in the world. Because, like, you talk about your Pep Guardiola's and your Jurgen Klopp's and, like, When's the last time they haven't had, like, a fucking Cadillac to drive around, you know? Like, Ange Postacoglu, like, talks about, we're always going to play on the front foot. I don't care what happens. And you know what? He fucking means it. And we've seen it against Luton. Now we saw it against um, against Chelsea. Like, I am incredibly impressed with how we play with nine men. And I know what Ben's about to say, but, like, the thing I would say to people who are, like, criticized the way Spurs play I don't think there's a good way to play with nine men. And I think playing with nine men up tempo, up the pitch went about as well as it could have gone. And the fact of the matter is the Spurs were actually pretty unlucky not to score another goal, if not another two goals. I mean, Brian, I can see Brian nodding. So I, I know I mentioned you, Ben, but I'm going to go to Brian first. Um, yeah, let me let me say nice things before Ben. Yeah, yeah, yes. I think I think Spurs. Like, I said I nice things already. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it's, it's a new it's a new era for the pendulum. So I want to give Brian his time. But like, you know, I think we played about as well as you could expect any team to play with. There's no good way to play with nine men. And I thought we were pretty effective and a little bit unlucky when we went down to nine men. 
I mean, you know, the the Twitter images uh, have shown us that we were extremely unlucky and a great <laughs> injustice was done to the sport of football by not allowing that Eric Dyer goal. To... Um, you know, uh, I don't know. Look, man, uh, I, like you said, I don't think there's a really good way to play with nine. Like you can't it's, it's almost impossible for to that put pressure on time. Like, if you play with nine men for like five minutes is different but i, I want to sure. be clear when you got to play yeah. like 40 minutes nine minutes there's no good way to play exactly you can't effectively put pressure on the ball that whole time you can't affect like you you just it's it's impossible and you know what we did and how we did it was insane um just to look at it like all the photographs that are going around with like all nine guys spread across the halfway line um it's just absolutely insane shit. Uh, but it was so fun. And, you know, it kind of almost worked because Chelsea are too dumb to figure out how to work an offside trap. Like, they just, they're like, oh, you mean I have to wait and then go? Like, no, that doesn't, uh, you know, it, it, it was, it was great. And I'm sure we'll get onto it eventually. And uh, so I'll let, I'll want to let Ben go, but like, statements after the game kind of did it even more credit like you know him saying like if we go down to five we're gonna play like this like i i think if we go down to five the game gets called off but um but it would be great if we just elect to stay out there with five guys just being like now break us down i i'm glad that after all these years brian's getting the cocaine football that he deserves i was promised roger schmidt years ago and now I finally have it, but Australian, and it's so much better. So, yeah, I think you're all waiting for me to shit on this tactically, and I'm not gonna. Uh, you know, I think there's two ways There's two ways to look at this. You look at this as you have a match in front of you. The game is at 1-1. You're playing 9-11. You got 30, 40 minutes to kill. How do you manage that match? And you have a new manager in his 11th game in charge who's trying to build an ethos for not just this season, but the next 10 years of the Ange Postacoglu era that we're all going to be celebrating. 20 years. Now, he's really old. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and like on a individual match level, you know, I think it is naive to say it is worth adhering to principles at the expense of, the result in this match. And I think, you know, I, I even, I'm reluctant to even use the word naive because I think Angie knows exactly what the fuck he's doing. It's not like he do, do, is unaware of, of the consequences of playing the way he played. Um, but I think, you know, there is, like you said, there's no good way to play 9v11. When we saw today, or this is Wednesday night, man, you go down to 10 men against Copenhagen and also concede four goals while playing a much deeper block and still getting their asses ripped apart. So, like, that that happens. You know, when you're playing a man down and two man down, there's not a good way to play. Uh, in this game, the way we chose to set our offside trap at the halfway line, a halfway competent team should score a goal every time they get the ball. Because... You have half a field, and it's a foot race. That's the whole game, right? Is You can post up a guy 10 yards offside and just let him wait till the play catches up with him from another runner in behind, and he's onside. We saw that happen 
with, with Jackson's first goal. He was well offside, but it didn't matter because Sterling was onside when the ball came through. And then Jackson is there completely unmarked because everyone is holding a line five yards behind him. If a team knows anything about how to play in this scenario, like Pep or Klopp would have scored 10 goals, 20 goals on us. Like it's just, that's just not viable. You're depending entirely on Vicario's sweeping ability, which as it turns out is unbelievable. Uh, but we can't win that foot race every time because they have all the time in the world to pick the pass. We have no ability to put pressure on the ball, the ball players uh, in, in their half because we're two men down and we have to track the runners like a good team just demolishes us in that scenario. Uh, the good thing is Chelsea is not a good team and they took 20 minutes to figure out, oh, we should try putting balls over the top because they're idiots. And even then and barely managed to get the go ahead goal before we did. So, you know, I, that's the game. But in the bigger picture of what Ange is doing with this team. And like you said about like the post-match comments, it's, we are playing a way and we are believing in a thing and God damn it, we're going to fucking do it. And the ability to retain even one point with nine men was very slim. So risking all the points to double down on that, that principle is, is absolutely worth it. I think in this scenario, because what you gain in the long run from a team who you know, is willing to play a insane suicidal risky football because they love and believe in their manager and they love and believe what they're doing on the pitch is going to pay dividends going forward. And that is worth more than one point that is worth risking it all to go for. Because I mean, I mean, even in the game, we almost fucking nicked it, you know, like we had the mm-hmm. sun chance, the Bendicourt chance, the dire goal. Yeah. Like there were opportunities for us to take that game playing insane football. But had we retreated and gone down and like even if we stole a point playing shitty football, then Ange would have compromised who Ange is. And that is not worth it because then you don't command the same suicidal loyalty that these guys have for this guy. Because they want to know that, like, we're playing football on our terms no matter what. And God damn it, we did. And I think it was really, in, like, I, I think this is what Spurs fans responded to. It was so inspiring that we kept pushing forward. And you have this team that's down to nine men with at least two guys in it who have been on the, like, not actually, but, like, have been on the outs, like, are not getting picked in Hoiberg and Dyer who are fucking ready to die for what, for what Ange wants them to do. And meanwhile, like Pochettino can't get his like $7 billion squad to like put a fucking round peg in a square hole because they're, you know, a bunch of fucking idiots who like, you know, like I I feel like if, if the opposite of this match had happened, they would have lost by six, like, you know, and I understand that things kind of fell apart when Sun didn't score that goal and they broke our back in like the 93rd minute. But, you know, that is what it is. I think there was just something about like it was the way that we committed to it. Like you said, but it's like we're going to fucking do this and I don't care if it kills us. And the way that they committed to it, like this team, if this had happened to us under Conte or under Mourinho, like we would have folded like a fucking like, you know, 
cheap table. Like, I mean, we just would have fallen apart. It would have been, you know, it, we would have had this score, but it would have happened in like the 70th minute or, or it would have been worse. And instead, this team kept fighting. They kept going. And, you know, I think even with those Nico Jacksons, like with the worst hat trick in Premier League history, I think we probably had the better chances. You know, it, it, maybe, maybe I'm being a little generous there, but, you know, we had pretty good chances for a team down two men for a substantial period of time. And, you know, we kept at it and it's, you know, like, I I think it's really funny. You see all these like other teams fans, whether it's Chelsea or Arsenal or whoever, you know, kind of mad that every, all these pundits are praising Spurs and, you know, they're like the Grinch trying to figure out why the who's in Whoville are having a good Christmas without all their presents. (laughs) It's like perfect analogy. Yeah, it is a perfect analogy. Like, you know, they're, but they're just like, you know, they don't understand why we're so fucking happy about this. And it's like, oh, we have a team that is not only committed to playing in a way that we all want to see them play, but, you know, if we have a fucking team that's committed to playing, which, God, I can't remember the last time we've had that, like maybe since those six months under contact. It's just, it's it's refreshing and it's encouraging. And like you said, Ben, I think it's almost worth the loss. Like, you know, if you're down to nine men, fuck it. It is what it is. Like, you know, how do you're not you winning that down? game, probably. Certainly not bunkering. Yeah. yeah, it's not like bunkering. Like, you know, you that happens when you're, like, up one with five minutes to go. That's a different story. But you've got, like, 30, 40, whatever the fuck it was, minutes. I mean, you know, I mean, God, it was just refreshing to see a Spurs team show some fucking pride and fight. And it's weird that it was in a match like this. And it's weird that it's in a match where, like, we just conceded two goals at death when they kind of broke our back. But... God, it was refreshing. And especially, it's really weird for a Chelsea team that scored four goals. Like, you know, you I, I think like you walk out of this match and you feel like which of these teams has the brighter future. And I know we're Spurs fans and we have lily white cover, colored glasses here. But, you know, I, I, don't, I don't think many people would feel great. I feel like most people would feel better about Spurs' long-term, you know, sort of situation than they would about Chelsea. I, I, and Brian, am I, am I being too much of a Pollyanna when I say that? No, not at all. Uh, I mean, you know, I, I haven't watched a ton of Chelsea this year, but like, uh, what what's their direction? What's their plan? They have a thousand new players, and what are they doing? Um, you know, I I think when you look at it, um, we have a direction, we have a goal, we have a system, we have, um, you know, a manager that that. I don't know, doesn't rely on lemons to overcome tough situations. Like, I don't know. Like, I think um, there's no question that that you would rather be Spurs. I mean, just table position alone, um, you know, and we're we're much better off. I think, you know, and that's the thing that, you know, we shouldn't be losing sight of is like, yeah, this sucks because we hate losing Chelsea. I hate losing to Chelsea. Um, And, you know, we the. The other big rival we played this year, we we drew that match, and like you know, so so that those aren't great feelings, but also we're second. That seems great, like you know, I, I mean, eleven games in, if you told me we were in second place and you know had been mostly cruising, I'd be pretty happy, even if it meant a four-one loss to Chelsea, and you know uh, the. It sucks that that's our first loss of the season. It sucks that that's Ange's first loss in a home game in, you know, 50 however many games or whatever. Like, all those things suck. 
But I think, you know, the the, the overall outcome of this game is uh, is not what is going to be the marker of success for the season. Like a four one loss doesn't matter. Uh, what 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 matters is how we recover from it, you know, how, how bad these injuries are, like, what what happens. That's what's going to matter. Right. And at the end of the day, you know, again, to talk about expectations and calibrating what, where we are this season and what we're trying to accomplish, we are a new team with a new manager trying to put things together, and we were top of the league after 10 games by believing in those principles and adhering to Ainge's philosophy. and you know, yeah, and sometimes you're going to get a 4-1 loss playing 9-B-11 by sticking to that. But you know what? Like, over the course of the season, that adherence to those principles has gotten us pretty fucking far already. And deviating from them is not going to get us further. So we're all in on the big Ange train. So let's keep riding it. I, I, we've praised the performance when Spurs went down to nine men, and there's a lot of guys like Hoiberg and even Dyer, who I think deserves some credit. But the guy I, before we move on, that I don't want to let, I don't want to let this pass without commenting on him is Vicario, who, I, I mean, Jesus Christ, what a performance that was! I don't think, I mean, has there ever been a keeper who's conceded four goals who's been more impressive than this? I mean, I think we were all feeling pretty good about him. I think we got a real. I think we got a real fucking good keeper here. It's, I feel so good about that situation after last year being such a catastrophe. I mean, between how he plays and the way he talks about being on this team, it's just, I can't imagine being happier. I'm so happy that Brentford played hardball over, you know, Raya. It's, it's, we're, we're, I feel like we're in such a better position having Vicario between the sticks and it's just, yeah, I, I I don't know. I feel like we're in the lottery. It's 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 he's such a good guy to have back there, and I think he was so impressive. Uh, I, I don't know if you guys have anything to add, but it was really good. I mean, it just shows that you know all of us that were questioning, you know, what we were looking at when we signed a goalkeeper from Empoli, um, we didn't know what we were talking about, and and the club actually, and 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 Don Fabio. They knew what they were doing. And, um, you know, uh, it's it's been weird because, you know, in the preseason, I wasn't very convinced that he was going to be the guy. And literally ever since the season actually started, uh, he's been amazing. Um, I can't think of like a serious error that he's made. I, you know, I think. You know, every time he's called on to make a big save, he he does. He almost saved that penalty, and like you know, God, imagine what that would have done for 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 the team if he if he gets just a little more solid contact and pushes it just a little bit wider. Like, you know, what what would have happened then? I I, I don't know, but uh, but yeah, he's been really. Yeah, we were talking before the match uh, with Kaylee, and he was like, you know, look, he's on a real hot streak making these saves, but, like, is he really, like, a top five keeper in the world? Otherwise, this is unsustainable. And every match that happens, I'm kind of like, "Mm, he might be. (laughs) 
he might just be that fucking guy. You know, like, I, the performance that he put in against Chelsea was so commanding in so many facets of play. Uh, you know, we've talked about his calmness and distribution under pressure. We've talked about his shot stopping. And then this week he decided to put on, you know, one of the best sleeper-keeping performances I've ever seen. And this is from a, a team that had Hugo Lloris in peak sleeper-keeping era for years. You know, like, I am just continually blown away by by his performances and that save he made with like his face. <laughs> like, I think you guys know the one I'm talking about. Like it's one of the most impressive saves I've ever seen anyone make. It's, I don't know. I'm, I'm very happy to have the youngest member of the Malcolm in the middle family as our keeper. He is, he is extremely, extremely good. And, you know, I, I want to say it again. Cause you know, I talked about the top of the show, but you know, he had some comments after the match that is just like, it's what we've been chasing for years. So it's just, it's really nice to have this. It's really nice to have this back. It's really nice to have this kind of performance. I want to switch before we, we have a few questions from our listeners, but we're going to talk about, but I want to talk about obviously one of the big problems with this match uh, beyond losing to Chelsea was the fact that we are going to be without some of our best players. Um, Romero is suspended for the next three matches. Madison may be hurt. We're recording this. or we're recording this Wednesday night. Um, so we don't exactly know where some of these injuries are, but Madison looks like he could have a hurt ankle. Udogi's out for at least, um, the next match. He's out for the next match. And then we don't know how long Van de Ven's going to be out. Uh, how are you feeling? And Richarlison's now having, Oh, you're right. Richarlison's apparently also has an ankle injury. (laughs) Like, yeah. So I don't know how Ben, I'll start with you. How are you feeling about, I mean, we have a tough, we play Wolves, then Villa, then City. Um, I mean, how are you feeling about Spurs coping with this injury crisis? I mean, bad, but, you know, <laughs> we'll see. You know, I mean, we, we've seen a lot this season, a, a tale of a first 11 that has been pretty immaculate and, and backups who, when called upon, besides Hoybeer, I think have been a little, a little iffy uh, to put it mildly. Um, you know, Skip's been bad and Los Celso has been bad. And I don't think Ben Davis is, I think he's also hurt, but hasn't been great. Uh, Dyer doesn't look like he is remotely capable of filling Van de Ven's fast shoes. Uh, so, you know, I think we lost, guys who were like the most unlosable guys on this team. Yeah. And it is going to be really tough ask, but I don't know. We can, we can still do it. We'll see. (laughs) Like if we, if we lose to wolves because, you know, we're playing like five of our regular 11, I'm not going to be shocked, but I don't know. I, I mean, yeah, I believe. So let's do it. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be weird. It's going to be. You know, I, I, I was kind of getting comfortable with the idea that we'll never see Eric Dyer ever again. And um, <laughs> and how wrong I was. Um, and he actually oh, played all right. Like it was it was fine. Um, no, nah, I. 
look, we we all knew that the that depth was an issue, especially depth in attack and depth in set at center back. And you know, <laughs> we were always going to try and ride it out and see how far it would get us. And the answer was 11 games into the season. So, um, I don't know. I, I Look, this does give an opportunity for other guys to play. Um, you know, I, I don't know if Ange will give some of the younger guys opportunities. Like, I don't know if we're going to see um, Phillips play. I don't know if we're going to see Dorrington on the bench. I, I, I have no idea what we're going to if it's going to be, you know, Hoiberg Dyer, even though like that sounds the stu- like the stu- nightmares. Um, I don't know. I don't know what we're going to do, um, but it'll be interesting. Um, you know, in the, you know, we, we, we've talked about wanting to see more Brennan Johnson, wanting to potentially see what Brian Heal looks like out. There. Um, we're, we're going to have those opportunities. Uh, you know, uh, I don't know. Uh, at the very least, you know, it seems like our midfield is healthy and, you know, knock on wood and everything. But like, you well, know, if Lo Celso can play, which like, you know, Lo Celso, Benton Coor is coming back into fitness. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, Oliver Skip still exists. Uh, so, you know, Hoiberg, if he's not playing in central defense, can play in midfield. Like, um, I don't know. It, I like it, that Hoiberg is our best alternative. He, Sorry, I didn't What's interrupt. That? I just like that Hoiberg is our best alternative to both Van De Ven and Madison right now. <laughs> like, do yeah, really I mean, opposite. Might be one of those, but I, I think you know something we've talked about is you know how Spurs haven't like really put the hammer to teams in the way that say Villa like have kind of piled on a little bit this year. Like, not that we haven't like I think we've played extremely well, but we haven't taken all of our chances. Is what I mean, and I think. In the next few matches, I mean, the City match isn't really this, but, like, I think Spurs might need to have to be a little more clinical because we might start conceding a few more goals. I did think, like, Dyer acquitted himself fairly well in the match against Chelsea, but we're going to see how that goes, you know, further on. I will say, like, Hoiberg, Dyer, Davies, like, none of these guys were well-suited to, like, playing in deep blocks. So, like, how bad can it be? Like, how much worse can they be, like, you know, than, than – they were playing deep in their own half last year. So we'll see. Um, I want to move on to some questions from our listeners. Um, uh, Crystal Pepsi on Blue Sky wants to hear me say uh, our keeper's name in the most Baltimorean way that I can. So uh, Guglielmo Vicario. I don't know exactly how to go with that, but I'm, I'm trying to give it to you as best I can. So there we go. Um, I think just say it normally without putting on any affectation and like you Guglielmo got Vicario. So <laughs> there we go. Guglielmo Vicario. There we go. What's that, Brian? Brian I think you're muted. muted. So I said, really I don't think you're doing the. Oh, I wasn't muted. Shut up. You don't know. Um, uh, you're not doing the O right. I don't. Uh... Guglielmo Vicario. Yeah. It didn't sound go like back. Aaron earned an iron urn, so uh, yeah, you can go, find it. Go, go back, go back to Empoli. Um, yeah. So, uh, why are Sp- uh, hold on, what is this? What uh, William Moore, Henry Morris wants to know uh, what's the most hilarious way the Chelsea match in February can play out? Like the reverse of this, right? Yeah, like, I mean the just, same, but yeah, like for them. I mean, I think I we go really down like to nine men and then go. beat them four one. Yeah, I would really like a match 
to not go Chelsea's way for us, like, at some point. It's I feel like it's been since, like, like I don't know, since that Sun goal a few years ago. It's, like, I can't remember the last time Chelsea have just, like, fucking tripped over their own dick against us. It would be really nice for that to happen. Um, do you think, uh, this comes from Lunch Enjoyer on Blue Sky, uh, where would you play Hoiberg to cope with the injuries we have? Uh, would you rather play him in midfield or center back? Mid, sure. I mean, I kind of want to just see what Ashley Phillips is. Like, again, I think we're playing with house money. We're way further ahead in the table than we expected to be. It is a transition season. We got this guy. Unless Ange thinks he's just, like, completely unready for prime time. Fuck it. Throw him in. And, you know, let Hoiberg play midfield. See how that goes. Agreed. Um, on Twitter, the Hamburglar wants to know, what player has to step up the most after this massacre on Monday if we're going to maintain our momentum going forward? Um, Dyer. I think it's Dyer. What do you, ben, what do you think? Brennan Johnson. <laughs> Brennan, well, no. he's already stepped up, so that's hard to hard to ask him to step up even more. Yeah, no, I mean, I think whoever is playing center back has just like insane shoes to fill, especially if Poro and Udogi are also out. Like that whole back line is in for it. At least Udogi will be back in a week. Like whatever else happens, we know that. And we have an I think we have Emerson Royale around. So yeah. Is Ryan Sessegnon still on the team? Maybe he can play. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, hopefully he gets some horse placenta or something in the next few weeks, but something tells me he's not going to be ready to contribute in the short term. Um, I feel like we have okay. more left backs that are somewhere. Like, didn't we have like six at the start of the yeah, season? Yeah, Regulon. He went to Manchester. Yeah, they're all. Yeah, they're at Manchester United. That's a great point, Ben. <gasps> Uh, Haley Bachrock wants to know, she, she's asking, uh, which former Spurs player would you most like to see playing Ange Ball? Vertonghen? Would you take Vertonghen over Van de Ven in this system? No. Yes. Really? No. Yeah, yeah. But I would play Vertonghen as the left back. Uh, so you refute the premise of my question. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I, let's see. Um, I mean, Defoe, definitely. Like, if you want a striker that runs in behind and just scores, like, what? Uh, that's what I'd want. Maybe Harry Kane. He, Maybe he, Harry Kane would look really yeah, good. Yeah, the, the cheap system, answer guys. is Harry Kane. I would say Luka Modric. Like, I would love to see Luka Modric, like, threading passes in this system. Yeah, we got Madison. Who needs him? I mean, the real cheap answer. Yeah, Madison is- has to play forward. I want someone. I want someone doing it from the center circle. Like I said, the real the real cheap answer is Gareth Bale. We need a a good left Ugh. winger, and obviously there's none better. Uh, but honestly, like Aaron Lennon, I think mm-hmm. I knew you were gonna say that. A fun, yeah, of course. But yeah, I think he'd be fun in this. Sandro, I think would be fun in this. Well, Sandro would be fun in any team. Um, I mean, honestly, the fact that we've gotten this far down the list and not said Musa Dembele is 
little disappointing. I feel like trash strikers is my real answer. Like Clint Dempsey, Emmanuel Adebayor, like these guys who would just like finish shit up front, I think would really thrive in this system. I mean, Kane obviously would because he does great stuff, but those other guys wouldn't be trying to like play balls in midfield. Berbatov? Would Berbatov Berbatov He wouldn't do the running is the problem. Well, he doesn't need to do the running. He just needs to be in the box when other guys are ready to like square it. But he wouldn't press. He'd be, you know, smoking a cigarette in a halfway That's circle. Fair. I don't know. No, I mean, like, look, we all know that the big weak point is our left wing spot. So it's Bale, it's Lennon, it's a, a guy who does that is the real answer. There's a lot of fun joke answers, but that's the real answer. Bedrin Chorluca. That's my answer. Uh, yeah, honestly. <laughs> better, definitely better than Royale. Jermaine Genus. <laughs> um, unserious FC asks: Is there a plus side to all these bodies going out and forcing us to have to play some of these other players in the system? I think there is a weird. If we're taking the long view, I think there's an advantage to us having to like cope with these difficulties to just sort of figure out how we're going to deal with playing with nine men, playing with ten men, playing with some of these guys injured. I think there is something good about the whole squad having to contribute to sort of how Ange wants to play. But obviously I would rather have our full fit 11 as opposed to that. But I do think if you have to play other guys, I think there's an advantage for Ange and the team to like have to play under less optimal circumstances. Like, like getting this under our belt isn't a bad thing, but I would still rather have our first 11. I think it's like, Why did you say? I think it's like Ben said earlier is, you know, we need to figure out if some of these guys are are useful guys. And so, you know, I think the fans have already bought into what we're doing and what the project is. So, like, yeah, it was great when we were winning matches and we were on some this crazy run and we were top of the table. And it's like, okay, well, now we can also just do some of the rebuilding stuff. We can see if, you know... Johnson can can be the guy. We can see if Ashley Phillips is actually any good. We can, you know, we, we can figure out some stuff. No, it's all bad. Terrible. <laughs> There's the pendulum we know. I mean, look, we got a project. It's a new guy in charge. The vibes are good. You don't want to have to play the scrubs. Like, if the vibes go bad, if we lose, like, the next three games because our starters are bad and the fans start, like, wobbling – that's the worst thing that could happen. You know, like you want an easy run. You want, you want this transition era to be comfortable and losing like eight guys just doesn't make that comfortable. So uh, did he, does he really do it for you? Has a question about how we're going to play without Madison, but then he asks, is there really no hope for uh, uh, Ndombe, Ndombe, Renaissance? And I want to answer that first. There is fucking no hope because, and just going to set up a fucking burger stand in midfield. So there's definitely no hope for an Ndombele renaissance at Spurs. But how do you think we're going to play without Madison? Look, I think you are really underselling the vision that Ange brings to this club. I think... He's going to sell Ndombele in, in, in burgers in midfield? Is that what's going to happen? <laughs> yeah. I mean, we're going to have, instead of water breaks, we're going to have some 
you know, Lard McDoubles breaks. on the sidelines. And we're gonna br- we're gonna bring the donut machine from the Simpsons in Hell episode for the for that. And just start feeding midfielders donuts. Yeah, we're and- just gonna set that up behind the opposition goal, just like, like pumping it. donuts out into the void and say, you know, go get, get it. You know, it's gonna yeah, be like a it- fucking like Bugs Bunny cartoon with like a carrot dangling in front of a horse from a fishing rod. I mean, tell Galatasaray that so they give us a transfer fee, man. Like, God, that's yeah. going about as poorly as you could hope. Like, Jesus Christ. Like, all right, get off it. We know you hate him. <laughs> well, maybe if he didn't fucking suck and ordered cheeseburgers to his room instead of getting in shape, maybe I would not hate him as much. But anyway, how do you think we're going to play without Madison, Brian? Um, I mean, I guess we'll play some combination of Bentoncourt, Lo Celso, and Hoiberg. Like, I guess. I don't know. I, I was, mean, it's... I was encouraged by how much creativity we had out of midfield. I mean, I know it's a weird game state and Chelsea suck, but, like, I, like it didn't seem like we had no ideas. Like, I don't want to take too much out of this game, but it didn't seem like... You know, I've, I've watched a Spurs team with 11-on-11 who had no ideas. It seemed like there was more going on than I would have expected there. I mean, most of our chances were from winning fouls and delivering decent set plays. Like we were not really threading passes the way that Madison does, you know, like he remains. You weren't doing that, but it could have, it was not as bad as I thought it was going to be is what I'm trying to say. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, look, he remains like the most creative passer, the best close control dribbler, like, He's just the guy that makes our attack function. It's going to be worse without Madison. Yes. Uh, we'll see. But I think you do have, like, in Bentoncourt, who's not the most creative player, but he's not devoid of that. And, um, well, Celso, hopefully. Like, you've got options there. Like, you're not, like, totally screwed. Like, I mean, it's going to make you worse, but you're not totally screwed. So, I don't know. I mean, we're losing easily our best attacker. Yes. And well, like, I think Son, but yeah, no, I, mean, no, I, mean, I, I agree your point. It's not ideal. It's, yes, I think that is a very good way of putting it. Um, on that note, I think it's time to wrap it up. We've gone pretty long tonight, guys. Oh, what a good um, note. <laughs> well, yeah, whatever. I mean, you know, Spurs, still listening. Not ideal. Still listening. Let us know on uh, Insta- on uh, Instagram. Yeah, let us know on Twitter. Yeah, uh, let us know on Instagram. Why not? Let us know. Tell uh, Manor Solomon if he still has an Instagram account, he can let us know. Uh, (laughs) On that note, it's time to wrap it up. Ben, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter and Blue Sky at Comrade U Spurs. Brian, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Brian underscore Ashlock. That's Brian with a Y. And on Blue Sky, Brian Ashlock, no underscore. Stole the Y, or do you use an I over there for variety? Uh, no, I actually use, um, you know, one of those little upside-down question marks. Well, fair enough, fair enough. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Skipjack0079, and you can find me on Blue Sky at just plain old Skipjack. Uh, for Ben, for Brian, uh, for Brett Rainbow, and of course, uh, for all of you, I've been your host, Greg. Uh, come on, you Spurs, and enjoy your lunch.